0: Welcome to Business Masters, the podcast that gives you direct access to world-leading experts on key business issues. To be the first to know about future shows and to access even more exclusive content, visit businessblueprint.com and subscribe today. Hello, it's Dale Beaumont here, founder of Business Blueprint, and welcome to another Business Masters podcast. Today, I'm talking with the author of the book, Broke to BMW, and her name is Shah Moore. And our topic of conversation is how to do business in challenging times. So Shah, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thanks very much for having me today, Dale.
0: All right. Now, I know you've been involved in lots of businesses in your past, so tell me about some of the companies that you've built.
1: Yeah, sure. So, we were over living in uh, Thailand in the Middle East. In Thailand, I was right up there in the corporate sector. And then in the Middle East, when we moved there, I decided it was time to open my first business. Uh, and that was quite interesting. So, I opened a five-star Asian wellness spa in the desert of Abu Dhabi in a dead-end street where no one would find it.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the experience of working in a foreign country and uh, and especially in a dead-end street. And, uh Why did you even pick that location to begin with? (laughs)
1: Great question. Uh, So a couple of things. Living in the Middle East is is an amazing experience and one that we absolutely treasure. It, of course, comes with its own challenges. So a few weeks after arriving in the country, uh, I was still determined never to drive because they do drive on the other side of the road and their driving skills, well, let's just say are very interesting. So I decided, nope, I'm just going to get a driver. And my husband rented a car and popped it in the driveway and said, well, we're actually wasting money. You better get out there so driving on the wrong side of the road with people that are just mad was interesting why I opened a visit in a business in a dead end street uh, I'm one of these people that I I can see possibilities and opportunities and when we moved to Abu Dhabi we'd been in Dubai for nearly 11 months and I was in recruitment uh, in the spa industry so I got to know every spa or beauty salon that was opening across the Middle East in small and big projects and I I saw an opportunity for an Asian wellness spa. What was going on at the time were more beauty salons and you know glorified eyebrow waxing places that decided that the label spa would fit but spa actually means health through water and none of these places offered any treatments with water so that was the first thing that I spotted Then when we moved to Abu Dhabi and my husband was promoted, Abu Dhabi is an island and I realised that there was a lot of expatriate people coming across there because the opportunity, you know, Middle East was the place to be. And I realised that that island is going to get full. So what happens then? The expansion is people are going to go just off the island, which is not far from the airport, and that's where construction is going to take place. And at that time it was literally lots of sand uh, and a few buildings and a school. And I just thought, well, if I'm going to be here for the long term, which was the plan at that time, I'm going to plant something out here so that when the people come I'm already located here. Uh, So that's what I did and because my spa was really it was all about a destination it's quite tough over there I found more so for the women because typically not in all cases but typically the men are the ones that get the job and get employed and they get taken over there as part of the contract. The kids go into international schools. After the boxes are packed unpacked and the candles are lit and the dog and cat or whoever you've brought over with you are settled, the women just sit there. And I found as I got to talk to more people and more women especially, they felt a real disconnect. They were missing their family. They didn't know anyone. The kids were gone during the day. Husband was away. So I wanted to create a space where, one, it was like a community community Two, they could get well because the, the climate is really tough on your body. It gets cold as well as extreme heat. It's dry, it's sandy, it's dusty, it's, it's a very fast-paced place. And there's only so many days you can go out and do designer shopping. So I designed a one-stop facility. I renovated a beautiful, big 18-room, three-storey villa in a dead-end street out of the way and created this most gorgeous Asian sanctuary uh, that women could come and escape to for the day.
0: Sounds absolutely beautiful, but what were some of the techniques that you grew just very quickly? Because I know we've got lots of stuff to talk about, um, and how did you turn that into a, a thriving business?
1: So what I did was actually realise that I had something different and I just hit the ground and hit the streets and went out and talked to people, went to networking events. I realised the press would eat up what I had because it was different. So I sent press releases out. I invited all the media to come and experience it themselves. I went out and talked to the expatriate mums. I would go to the school. I literally did all the word of mouth marketing myself. Within six months of opening, we were fully booked six weeks ahead.
0: Wow, amazing. Now tell me about um, yeah, how that business, um, uh, how you then moved to Australia, which is where you, you live now. Why did you leave it behind?
1: So we, we always said that we would travel and take our kids on experiences and at that stage we had we have three children and our eldest son was 16 and a half and it was getting a bit limiting for him. He couldn't drive a car, you can't learn to drive until you're 21. You can't go out, you can't drink, you can't it's not really safe for a child to be out uh, at you know different times of the day, especially in the evening. So we always said it was, it was starting to affect his life. So we wanted to bring him back so that he could have year and 11 and 12 back in Australia and, and and get out there and start to make some money. So it was just a decision that we'd been away from Australia for eight years, and it was just time to come home.
0: And uh, so, when he came back, tell me about what you—the business that you started—and uh, and how that grew.
1: Sure. So I realised that really, I mean, I, I I couldn't top what I'd done in the Middle East. I'd attracted the royals. I had Etihad Airways contact me and open my brand of spa in their 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 crew of. Uh, villas and you know four and a half thousand stuff so I thought wow I can't top that not even me but I still wanted to be in the industry where I was serving other people so I became an image consultant and personal stylist and I worked from home initially and then it grew so big that I ended up renting some shops at, at uh, in the redlands and I was getting frustrated with the fashion that was out there and, and a lot of the clients I was styling were speakers or authors and they really wanted to be different and wear different fashion so I opened a high-end fashion boutique as well and that still kept me in that flame of what I love to do which was helping people create that beautiful first impression.
0: Now how did you then um, grow that business and tell us what eventually happened to it as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So how did I grow it? Well, that was really interesting because we're originally from Melbourne and Sydney. So I did not even know the name of the local dog when we moved into Brisbane. I knew no one. And I thought, wow, how can I style people? It's such a personal thing to let someone into your space and your underwear drawer. Uh, I need to get out there. And I just thought, right, I'm going to submerse myself into the, the local area. I went to every networking event. I did trade tables. I would go and support charity events. I was just everywhere. And I started to build a brand and a reputation up and I got to know people because at the end of the day social media and all these things are absolutely wonderful but at the end of the day humans love belly-to-belly connection they want to touch and hear and feel and see your emotion that's how I grew the business again no money spent on advertising I just did it all through connections
0: and in was it 2011 that there was a a, a flood that (laughs) happened and tell us about what happened and and what that did to your business
1: yeah, sure. So, yeah, the, the the rain basically fell. So my business was up and running, uh, doing extremely well. We were doing on average of around $3,000 a day without really trying. Uh, I had a couple of my friends working in there, which was phenomenal. And I went to Melbourne and had a a well-deserved holiday with my family down there. And the rain literally fell from early December and it didn't stop until February. And of course, the devastating Queensland floods came through in January. And even though my shop wasn't directly affected, we didn't have floodwaters gushing through, which some people think you need to have happened to be affected by a natural disaster. You don't. Because what happened was my shops were located in a beautiful village and you couldn't get out of your car and walk into my shop without being drenched. And there was a number of things that happened at that time. If people think back and remember, it wasn't just the floods, it was a a number of things. And unfortunately, people just went into lockdown mode and stopped spending. So of course, fashion and styling are things that you cut back when things are tough. So I basically went from $3,000 a day to $20 a day if I was lucky. So I had to then go into damage control because I'm a fighter. I don't give up easy. And I thought, okay, I'll get through this. I contacted my network. I contacted my clients. I put on nights. Uh, I couldn't afford the champagne. So I would put on the strawberries and they would bring the champagne. They would bring the clients. They'd have personal shopping experiences, uh, which was great, but it wasn't enough. And unfortunately, week by week, month by month, I hang on for six months four months longer than I probably should have in hindsight. And I then got the devastating phone call from the real estate agent saying, look, Sha, we've been really patient. As much as we understand you're, you're trying to make this work, we need to kick you out. And that was a real turning point for me.
0: So being someone that's always had a lot of success and someone that has a, you know, never say die attitude, what was it like to get that phone call and you know, did you did you feel like a failure and, and what lessons did you learn when you came through the other side?
1: Absolutely. Look, I think anybody in business, any business entrepreneur out there that invests their time, their heart, their soul, their energy, their creative ideas into anything and then sees it come to fru- fruition and then to have that business just literally be taken away through no fault of your own. It's like someone rips your heart out. I felt failure. I felt uh, embarrassed, again. you know, with my family as well, being able to tell my children, who we've been able to provide for quite well over the years, that, you know, there's no more fabric softener. It's back to rice and pasta. It's, uh, you know, sewing clothes up, not buying new ones. It was a matter of stripping everything bare. I should write a book, 101 Ways to Cook Rice and Pasta, because I have every recipe. Mm. It was it was really guttering it was just soul destroying as well and to put on a brave face and actually I still went out into the public which a lot of people don't do they actually um, they actually hide and they hide away and that's the worst thing to do because your network starts to disconnect from you so I would put the brave face on and only a few people really knew what was going on because I, I wanted to soldier through it so I guess the key thing is It can happen. Sometimes it can be through decisions you've made and sometimes it's out of your control. But don't hide. Stand up, stand tall, stand proud and find a way to get through it and there are lots of ways.
0: Now, this is the next... The most important thing that I want to talk about because I know that mm-hmm. there are people thinking of someone that had a business failure 10 years ago and they're still getting over it. Mm-hmm. Um, within 18 months you were able to completely turn things around and hence went out and bought a BMW which is the title mm-hmm. of your book broke to BMW in 18 months. So how did you tell me about the, that period of time and you've mentioned one of your strategies about getting out there and standing tall and, and being being proud but what were some of the other strategies that you used to turn things around so quickly?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, Look, there was a couple of key strategies that I would absolutely love to share. One is your network equals your net worth. Again, so many people look outside of their network for the answers when it's already within the network that they've already created. And the net worth is there. So one of the strategies that I used was I launched, I realized that there must be other business owners out there suffering and pretty much sure that I've taken this experience in life and I've taken one for the team. So I can either lay down and say, Woe is me, my God, life's tough, declare bankrupt. And I'm not saying that it's it's an easy decision. I think it takes as much courage to go bankrupt as it does to fight it. I just chose, because I'm opening my orphanage, just to have that integrity to pay everyone back. Because again it's not their fault, the suppliers' fault that this happened. So I launched a business networking group because I realised there must be other business owners out there struggling. A lot of them work from home and they're solopreneurs. There's no one to share ideas with. So I launched a new group. I called my network. I said, this is what I'm looking at doing. Come and support if it's something that you need as well. And I launched that business on the 3rd of August and I moved out of my shops and moved my businesses home to my double garage on the 4th of August. So you can do it even though you know what's coming the next day. They don't need to know that. It wasn't relevant at the time. But what I showed them was the strength to get up and keep going and I formed this amazing community. That was one of the lessons. The other thing that I absolutely did, as I said before, is don't hide. But there are so many ways, like thinking outside of the box, I put on events and then I would get sponsors on board who paid to be there. I would get the people along and they then had access to those people. So that, that sponsorship funds actually funded a lot of the events that I wanted to put on to grow my business it grew their business at the same time so it was a perfect alliance and it enabled me to do it because remember I had no money and I had debt no one was going to rent rooms or anything to me at the time strategic partnerships was absolutely incredible finding other business owners who align directly with your avatar and that are on the journey of your avatar's journey before they come to you. And then who do you align with after you served your client? Who do you send them to? And I created a beautiful alliance with people before and after. And that mean the client was taken all the way through on their own personal journey, but the alliances were happy because we were giving and taking business from each other. I also looked at barter card. I looked at any way that I could shift the stock because I had a boutique full of designer fashion, which I tell you was not cheap. And it was coming and being delivered by literally the busload because with with fashion boutiques, you pre-order stock seasons before and once you commit to it and they make the stock for you, it's delivered, it's yours to pay whether you can sell it or not. So I was up at markets at four in the morning. I was selling a couple of shoes here, a couple of dresses here, a couple of belts there, but every day I would sell something. And I guess the number one thing that I did was I did not hide from the people I owed money to. And I've subsequently met a lot of people who avoided the phone calls and, 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 you know, it's the fear of, oh, gosh, what are they going to say? Every time a, co- a contractor or supplier that I owed money to would call, I would answer the phone. I then entered into negotiations and I said, I am going to pay you every last cent. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I am going to pay you. Some weeks I'll give you $20, other weeks I might give you $400. It depends on what I've been able to sell for that week. But I promise you every week you'll have a deposit from me. If you can promise me you won't take any action against me, I will do this. And there was not one supplier who didn't agree to it because a lot of companies, not just fashion boutiques but others, they did the midnight runner, never to be heard again, packed up and gone. And because I was so open with, I'm going to pay you, please help me, they could sense that I was going to. And they then entered into uh, contracts and I paid every last cent within the 18 months. Mm,
0: amazing. I um, w- wanted to um, ask, if there are people listening to this that are maybe doing it tough for and mm. maybe it is set of circumstances or change in their industry. Like when you're in that moment, what should you do? Should you um, cut down on your expenses as much as you can or should you instead spend money you don't have on marketing to try and attract new business? Do you kind of diversify and go into maybe other products or services that you can mm. sell to make some extra money what, what are some of the things that you should do if you're really doing it tough
1: definitely look I think all of the above but what I personally did every time I received a bill in the mail I opened it and I didn't file it and didn't put it there and didn't stress about it, I looked at it and said, how can I save money on this? That was the first strategy that was absolutely critical to me getting through that 18-month period. So what I would do is I would call the supplier, whatever it was, even if it was Foxtel, Origin, it bank, It didn't matter what it was, I would call them up and say, how do I save money on this? What, Because quite often the supplier of whatever it is, credit cards even, everything, they quite often have new deals come out. And Unless you go to them and ask them, can I transfer onto your new product that you've just launched, which might save me a bit on interest or a fee, otherwise I'm going to look at refinancing this and taking it to someone else, then they say, oh, no, 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 we don't want to lose you. There was not one person be it Foxtel or Telstra or all of these people that I called that didn't renegotiate sometimes I would save $20 sometimes I might save $200 but every cent that I saved I paid off my suppliers so you can you've got to go into a state of pick yourself up off the floor get into a state of taking ownership and control and don't go into this situation in this phase of pulling yourself out from a defeated state because you will absolutely never make it you need to go into it and like well i've been given this and it's it's my thing to deal with clearly i've been sent it because i am capable of dealing it we only ever get sent what we can handle so i thought okay There must be lessons in here that one day I might be able to help others with and now, of course, I've put it all into a book and I do webinars with it but at that time I didn't know that. I just thought, okay, what can I do? So every bit of paper I looked at it, I think... You know, expenses definitely. Look at everything that you can trim. And I went into liquidation mode and I would look at things around the the, the house that weren't being used. it had garage sales, I put things on eBay, and sometimes I literally had a pledge to a supplier by five o'clock and I'm sitting there at one o'clock and the money didn't come in. So I would pop a piece of furniture up that was in the shop before, like one of the cabinets or the clothing racks, urgent sale on eBay or Gumtree, and I'd say, must pick up today, discounted price and it would bring the money in. Literally, they'd pick it up at 4.30, I would go to the bank and, and, or deposit it and it was done by five. There's always a way because you can buy furniture again. It's not like it's the end of the world it's going to run out of stock but you need to go into the mode of what things do you have around you that are sitting there that you could turn that into money to get you through this next phase. If, and can I honestly say, Dale, the thing that pulls you through this is you absolutely need to know what is your purpose, what is your why. Because otherwise, there's nothing fueling you that's going to pull you through and pick you up off the bathroom floor at 2am when you're having your meltdown. You've got to have your purpose in life and your why so clear that it helps you off the floor.
0: Well, maybe we need to do another interview because we could Thanks. easily talk about that subject for 25 minutes. But uh, I know there's more information on your website about the importance of finding your why. And you also have a whole bunch of things on that now, like um, a why network, which you've uh, mentioned, and also why magazine as well that people can head to your website, which we'll give in, in just a sec. But what about marketing? Because the other thing I admire about you is your ability to just come up with marketing ideas and uh, just to take action and put them into, into practice. What are some of your top tips for helping people to market their business, especially when they don't have a huge amount of money to spend.
1: Definitely. So with marketing, I love coming up with new ideas that are fresh. And there, look, there's lots of courses and great things out there. But I just think you really need to connect and think outside of the box. There's some marketing strategies that don't cost a lot of money. So, you know, there's there's one strategy that I recently taught to a client. He was trying to get his his foot in the door with this company for so, so long. And I said, look, go to Rivers, buy yourself a pair of men's shoes because the person he was trying to connect with was was male. Buy yourself a pair of men's shoes around size 10 or 11. Send one shoe in a padded bag with a note that says, now I've got my foot in the door, when can we meet? he tried to get into his company for six months. Sometimes the traditional ways of email marketing and, you know, cold calling and all these sorts of things, yes, they do work and they can work, but sometimes you just need to go and remember that person is a human being. He's probably so sick of the traditional way of doing things that he's looking for a fresh approach. And he ended up getting the appointment, not only that, he got the business. What marketing things could you do for your business that are so, so different? Um, You know, things that I used to, do is I used to strip the mannequins that I used to have in the front of my shop and strip them down naked if I had an overstock of clothing. And I would strip them naked and then put signs over their private parts saying, Sha won't dress me until you come in and buy clothes. And it just catches people's eyes. They drive past and go, my God, there's naked mannequins in the shop. What's going on? And then they'd come and read the sign. then come in and I'd sell out of stock. It's just trying to go, remember you're dealing with human beings. We all get bored with the traditional ways of doing things. So just try and think of something different. If you're trying to get appointments with people and you can't get past the gatekeeper, send them a gorgeous tea bag and say, pour yourself a cuppa and read this letter. It could save your boss's job and yours, depending on what your product or service is. But again, just try and make it funny. I think people take life and business a little bit too serious you're in business because it's something you're extremely passionate about and obviously very good at and it's your genius zone what could you do to make it fun for them as well
0: fantastic well we are going to start to wrap up now but uh, tell us briefly about your book broke to bmw i'm guessing there's a lot more out of the box ideas in there both on mindset but also practical strategies and and marketing tips Uh, tell us a bit about it before we close
1: Yeah, sure. Look, the book is pretty much my whole journey. I've turned it into a 12-month workbook. Uh, Even though it took me 18 months, I did mess around for a bit. So I've really crammed it into 12 months. It's actually a workbook. So part of it is the story. And then it's a part of it is actually exercises of what i did each month and then a place for you to do the same and i've just decided that i want to help as many business owners as i can so i've actually i actually run a free webinar that goes with the book for 12 months so it doesn't matter on what stage of the journey if you're joining now we're nearly at month 4 of the journey you'll be sent all the previous recordings as well so you can catch up but it's literally just to get people on track it's not something you can you can fix overnight It is going to take the 12 months. But if you commit to doing the journey, we've got a closed Facebook group, which is extremely supportive. We know that we can help you pull out. And the key is the light at the end of the tunnel is not another train. Mm,
0: Great. Fantastic way to to close. And uh, even though you're based in in Brisbane, Australia, you um, have people, I'm guessing, that have read your book and um, that attend your webinars from all around the world. Is that right?
1: I do, I've got about nearly 400 people on the webinar from all over the world, um, smaller percentage in America and and the UK, New Zealand and Asia and Middle East and a lot obviously based here in Australia. It doesn't matter where you are, it's a webinar, it's pre-recorded, you can listen to it live or you can listen to it when when it takes your fancy but at the end of the day I just want to support as many people as I can because I know what it's like to go through the journey and it is possible to come out the other side.
0: All right, we're out of time, but before we go, I just want to make sure that people have your website if they want to uh, to get in touch or to get a copy of your book or attend one of your webinars. Uh, so the uh, website address is charmore.com.au, that's sharmore.com.au. That's s h a r m o r ecomau sharmore.com.au. And that's where you can find more information. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting, Shah. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much, Dale, for your time.
0: All right. We're going to wrap up now. This has been um, another Business Masters podcast. For more information about uh, our business and also to download more great interviews just like this, head to our website, businessblueprint.com. We'll see you there and we'll chat to you again next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another Business Masters podcast. To access more great content or to download your free business
1: plan template, visit businessblueprint.com.